Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where we learn all about building resilience in ourselves and helping others build it too. We draw from the principles of positive psychology, neuroscience, and coaching to help you face change and adversity and do more than just survive. We want you to thrive. We are your hosts, Heather Stables and Leah Davidson, and we are certified life coaches and speech language pathologists. We will help you manage your mind, your emotions, deal with your stress and your overwhelm, and become the very best version of yourself, version 2.0. Let's get started. This is the Building Resilience Podcast, episode 31, Grief, with Krista St. Germain, with your hosts, Heather Stables and Leah Davidson. Krista St. Germain is a master certified life coach, grief expert, widow, mom, and host of the Widowed Mom Podcast. When her husband was killed by a drunk driver in 2016, Krista's life was completely flipped upside down. And while it would have been easy to believe her best days were behind her, thankfully Krista discovered life coaching and post-traumatic growth and was able to move forward and create a future she could get excited about. Now she coaches and teaches other widows so they can love their life again too. We are so thrilled to have Krista with us on the podcast today. We are so excited to have you. Thank you for coming. Totally excited to be here. And why don't you just at the beginning, take a few minutes to just introduce yourself because we have an exciting topic. We're going to be talking about grief. (laughs) I know it sounds funny to say an exciting topic, but I am excited to talk about it with you because I know that you are, that's why we call you the amazing Krista is because this is your jam. You have helped so many people and just Why don't you start us off with sharing a little bit about yourself and and what brought you into this grief world that you're the expert in. Yeah, thank you. It's so strange even now just to hear that because before my husband died, I don't think I ever imagined that I would someday be living and working in, you know, the area of grief and would be really someone who is an expert at it. It's just still kind of strange and surreal to me, but yeah. So I'm Krista St. Germain and I'm a master certified life coach. I'm a widow. I'm a mom. I host a podcast called the widowed mom podcast appropriately named. And I got into coaching and grief work because my husband died. Wasn't really something I ever aspired to do. I'd done a few different things before coaching, but grief definitely wasn't part of that. But when I was 40, he and I had been on a trip and we were coming back from that trip and I had a flat tire and we'd driven separately, but I pulled over on the side of the interstate and he pulled up behind me and he wanted to change the tire. Stubborn man that he was, didn't want to wait on AAA. I really just kind of went against my better instinct there. I knew it was dangerous and something told me he shouldn't be doing it, but I just let him. And as he was trying to get into the trunk, There was another driver that we later learned had both meth and alcohol in his system, and he didn't see the hazard lights, didn't break, just right into the back of Hugo's Durango and trapped him in between his car and mine, and 24 hours later, he was gone. Really fast, unexpected, big loss for me. It was my second marriage, kind of my redemption story, Mm -hmm. right? Because the first marriage hadn't ended so well. And he was just proof that true love existed and I could be treated like I wanted to be treated and happiness was possible. And so, so many of my dreams and goals and visions for my life had to do with the two of us. So it's really hard road there for a while and therapy super useful for me. I had a great therapist in my back pocket from marriage number one. (laughs) And she kind of helped me get back to that place where I was functioning. And then I just happened to find a life coaching program 
really wasn't even something I'd ever experienced or knew anything about, but it came to me at exactly the right time when I needed it. And it just helped me change everything. I didn't realize, which I'm sure we'll get into, but I didn't really realize that growth was possible after loss. Mm -hmm. And, and so life coaching showed me that, and it was so profound for me that I decided I have to do this. I have to do this. And I think also what happens in grief sometimes is we realize how short life can be and how precious life can be. And we start kind of doing an evaluation of everything in our lives. And that's mm-hmm. what happened for me as I went, do I want to be doing what I'm doing for a living? Is this really how I want to be spending my time? And the short answer was just no. Right. Let's just jump right in. One of the things that, as you mentioned, you worked with a therapist and then became a life coach and coaching what do you think is is the difference with people who would need therapy following grief versus coaching? Is there a difference? Is there, because I know it's a question that we're often asked, when is it appropriate for therapy versus grief coaching? Yeah, I think that's a decision that you need to make individually, but kind of rough guidelines that I use are that if you consider that we have this kind of minimum baseline of wellness and at that minimum baseline of wellness, we're able to meet our own needs. We're able to take care of ourselves. We're able to feed the kids. We're able to get out of bed. We're not crying all day. We're functioning. We're surviving, right? Anything above that I think is a brilliant place for coaching. Anything below that, I think we really need maybe a little bit more intervention. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I make that difference. Also for my clients, we use the term widow fog, but I think grief fog is just as an appropriate term. Mm -hmm. Sometimes depending on the loss, the grief fog can be pretty intense. And so I think we're best able to serve people with coaching when the grief fog has lifted a bit. Yeah. I know for me in the early days, I could not read and retain information. I just couldn't, I would read something over and over and it wouldn't sink in. And the type of coaching that I do anyway, and if all coaching is different, but I'm giving my clients tools and asking them right. to, you know, do a little bit of self-paced work. And so they wouldn't be ready for coaching if their right. grief fog is that intense. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's the experience we have. As I mentioned to you earlier, we're both speech pathologists and we've worked in the area of traumatic brain injury and grief is a huge component there. And we've talked about how grief is not just experiencing the death of somebody. It is experiencing really the death of a life, whether it's like your past life, the death of your future dreams. And I would say it's probably the same thing for many of our clients who have they're grieving a loss of their identity, that it does take some time before they're ready to start processing that there's a grieving Mm -hmm. process Mm -hmm. that they have to go through. Yeah. I know for me, I needed to tell the story a lot. Mm -hmm. I had to tell it. I don't know if your clients are are in that same place too, but yeah, just be able to tell it because it's in that space where intellectually I knew that it actually had happened, but yet there really was a part of me that believed I was in a nightmare that I just hadn't woken up from. Mm -hmm. And so being able to talk about it and tell a therapist about it, just tell someone who wasn't trying to change me or wasn't trying to help me shift or reframe anything, but was just letting me get it out until it just really sunk in and I could make peace with that. It was true that it had Mm -hmm. happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's almost like one of the first ways to help support somebody in grief is allowing them to just process and just have the conversations share as much as they they want to share. What are some of the other ways that I, I know this is also a common thing that people are like, okay, how do we deal with grief? 
That's yeah. the biggest question I think that people encounter. What do we do? What do we say? What do we not say? Yeah, I'd love that you, that really, I think it's even more than just the first thing to do is just witness, right? What someone else has experienced and be that place that they can talk to if they want. And we got to show ourselves some grace because we're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to later wish that we had said something else or wish that we hadn't said anything at all, right? So just kind of knowing going into it that we're messy humans and we're not going to do it perfectly and that's okay. But it's for most people who are grieving, better to have something said than nothing. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes we worry, and I definitely used to, that maybe if I would say something, that would make it worse, right? Maybe they were feeling okay. And then if I would say something that would bring it to the forefront of their mind, and then that would cause them pain. And then uh, it's better to just walk on eggshells and not talk about it. But it's important to remember that the person who's going through whatever it is they're going through, they're in it. They're thinking about it. It's not something that they're really able to even put on a shelf. Yeah. It's their reality. It's their constant. So you don't need to worry about you bringing it up and that's somehow going to make them think about it. No, they were already thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So it's actually really refreshing for most people to find that they haven't been forgotten and that what they're thinking about is something that people they care about are thinking about too. I think I got kind of lucky in that Hugo and I had worked together at the same company. And so when I went back to work, everyone there, not only did they love me, but they loved him. And so they had a lot of good stories. And so I really appreciated when people were willing to bring him up and bring up a funny Hugo story and talk about it in a meeting and that they didn't just act like it didn't happen. Right. Uh, Because it was really healing for me to be able to tell stories and laugh. And so many stories I heard about him after that I never knew before he died that came out. And so I think telling stories about if it was the loss of a person, telling stories about that person can also be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember in reading Sheryl Sandberg's the option Mm -hmm. B she shares Mm -hmm. that being at a dinner party and people talking and just totally skipping right over her because nobody wanted to have the uncomfortable conversation. And she was like, I want to talk about Dave. I want to talk about him. I don't want, I don't want his life to be forgotten. Yeah. That's such an important thing Mm -hmm. is to acknowledge that. Yeah. And also I think to not think how someone is feeling is a problem for you to be fixing Mm -hmm. because I don't know how you grew up, but I know that I definitely didn't grow up understanding how to allow feelings. I didn't really ever have any, there was no discussion about feelings or what to do with them. And so I think most of us end up thinking that feelings are problems Mm -hmm. and that when someone else is having a negative one, we're uncomfortable with that and we feel the need to try to fix it. And so if we could just kind of settle into, no, actually it's not a problem. It's okay to have a feeling. And just because someone is having a feeling in your presence doesn't mean you need to do anything about that. Mm -hmm. And that would alleviate a lot of, oh, he's in a better place, right? Or you'll meet someone else. So the things that people say, because they're just trying to make you feel better Mm -hmm. and because they think feelings are problems and they perceive your negative emotion, they want to fix it. Yes. And I think people often try to relate to someone's grief by offering their own experiences. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that might not be helpful to compare because everybody grieves differently. Yeah. It's just not often received as we want it to be received, isn't it? Right. So I think the intention is to connect and then how the griever receives it is kind of diminishing their feelings. Mm -hmm. And which is usually not what the person means. I know how you feel because I lost my so-and-so. 
And then in the griever's mind, it's how dare you compare your loss to my loss and they feel invalidated. And so, yeah, it's just not particularly useful, but I'm so sorry. I love you. I'm here for you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it is also connection. having that grace and compassion. Like you said, you are going to make a mistake and it's coming from a good place. I think when most people yeah. try to, they're just trying to identify, they're trying to mm-hmm. connect. So they're trying to show you're not alone. And yeah. I think the way we receive it will also depend on the space that we're in emotionally. It can be yeah, we bonded over that. That person can relate. But if it's mm-hmm. too new and too fresh, then it's probably not too helpful. Yeah. I notice in my clients, there's a lot of frustration, especially when people will say, well, I got divorced and I know what it's like. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. You know <laughs> that one, but really that's what I think is so misunderstood about grief is that it really is such a unique experience. It's not certain events that cause grief, right? right. It's our perception of loss that causes grief. And so if we could just understand that it's different for every person because every person's perception is different, somebody's loss of their cat might be really intense and it might be equivalent to someone else's loss of their life partner. Like, yeah. We just really have no idea because it happens inside the person. Yeah. I actually remember, it's funny, I was sharing with Heather earlier that when I went through my divorce, I had a few people who mentioned to me like, well, it's better than losing a partner to death. And at the point of my grief where I was at, I was like, really? Because Mm -hmm. had he passed away, I could go through thinking he loved me. He adored me. He didn't Mm want to leave. I said, I'm in this situation, just in in my situation, he was the one who had left. I'm sitting in this shame and humiliation and feeling like he left me. And I'm like, oh yeah, I don't know. Right now I'm sort of feeling like this is pretty bad. So Mm -hmm. I think you're exactly right. And, And Heather, you had mentioned earlier, it's the amount of time and love and how they spend that time in your everyday world. Mm. And that is why somebody who loses a pet, their their lifelong partner has intense grief. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Or just what that loss meant to them and to their future and to their ideas. And yeah, it's just so different and judgment doesn't particularly help. Right. Right. And Mm, we judge ourselves. Comparison. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask, what about explaining a little bit misconceptions around the stages of grief, like Elizabeth (laughs) Kubler-Ross and how she identified those for the dying. It wasn't Mm -hmm. for the survivors or the people living. Yeah. So I think that's a pretty common one. And for sure, it's it's kind of like weight loss, right? There's as many theories about weight loss as you 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 start researching weight loss and you'll see that there's a whole bunch of different philosophies on how to do that. And grief is no different. There's a lot of theories on grief. And the one that just seems to have picked up the most attention in our culture is this whole five stages of grief, which I think was very well intentioned, Mm -hmm. but it really was based on initially the study of hospice patients. It was based on the stages of, you know, coming to terms with a terminal illness and dying. Mm -hmm. And so it's been misinterpreted. And, and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross has written that she regretted how her work was misinterpreted. She was never intending to say, nor was the man who wrote the book with her, David Kessler, that it should be this linear your process. She was trying to normalize what some people experience. And what we have then done with that idea is decided that, okay, first I have to feel angry and then I Mm -hmm. I have to be in denial. And we've made it into this. I must pass through all these stages in a linear fashion. And if I don't, something's Mm -hmm. wrong with me. 
mm-hmm. which is not at all the intention behind that work. Mm-hmm. And if you circle back to a stage, then there's something really wrong with you. Really wrong with you. That stage. Right. You've relapsed. Yes. yes. And that's just not helpful at all. So I don't find stages are particularly useful. I do think it's useful to normalize all the feelings mm-hmm. because I do think some people judge themselves harshly for their emotional response to grief Mm -hmm. and think that there are rights or wrongs or emotions that you should feel and emotions that you shouldn't feel. Mm -hmm. And so there, there are some benefits, right. To just knowing that, Hey, anger is okay, but also it's okay to feel relief, Mm -hmm. right? It's okay to have any feeling, whether we would classify as negative or positive. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And now would you consider it more waves, not stages that can Usually for my clients, I kind of, I draw, I love this, the idea of what most people think grief is going to be, which they think it's going to be this linear at point A and you draw a straight line to point Z, or it's going to be some sort of a stair step where you go up a little bit and kind of plateau and then up a little bit and plateau like stairs. And so what I will usually draw is I will start at point A and I will just draw a complete squiggle line all the (laughs) way around everywhere, right? Where eventually we end up at point Z, but it's completely unpredictable and messy. And so, yeah, waves kind of are a way that some people feel it and process it. I definitely resonate with that. It doesn't really matter, I think, what the visual is, as long as we understand that it is unpredictable, Mm -hmm. right? It's not linear. All the emotions are okay. There's no timeline. There's no stages or steps. There's no wrong way to do it. Mm -hmm. And that we just kind of normalize the chaos of it Mm -hmm. and the unpredictability of it. Because that's what most people aren't ready for. Right. We're comfortable with, they're not comfortable with that, right? We're used to wanting to be in control of our emotions and in control of our responses. And so when you you have a little grief grenade and you're caught off guard, it's really uncomfortable for most people. Mm -hmm. And I definitely see like with our clients that there's a timeframe on it. Like I should be done by now. Mm -hmm. I should, Mm -hmm. this shouldn't keep going. Like this isn't Mm -hmm. normal that it's still hanging on or that it will reappear just out of the blue. Yeah. Seemingly out of the blue without, well, this happened so long ago. Why is it resurfacing? I see that a lot with the one year time mark mm-hmm. that people think, okay, well, the first year is the worst. That's the rumor. It's right. not true. Yeah. Right. And that really all I need to do is survive the first year and that something magical will happen at the end of year one. And then I will feel better. And then we use a lot of willpower and resistance to just kind of try to knuckle down and not feel our feelings or busy ourselves away from thinking about the loss. And then year one comes and <laughs> surprise. <laughs> Nothing magical happened. Yeah. Yeah. What are some of the other myths that you encounter that what people think grief is supposed to be like, and you find that they just, it's not. Yeah. So I think that for sure, the timeline is a big problem. It's Mm -hmm. that feelings are problems. Mm -hmm. They think that I don't think people understand the physical impact that grief will have on their body. And so that's a big surprise. It's a whole body experience. So hormonal imbalances and difficulty sleeping sometimes or staying asleep or intense dreams, nightmares, cognitive impact, right? Not being able to think process. Broken heart syndrome is a real thing. Sometimes people are surprised that their heart actually physically aches and that can kind of mimic a heart attack. So I think that's an unpleasant surprise. Yeah, I think probably one of the biggest things too is just that if you just hang on long enough, you'll feel better, right? If you just hold on, 
and that time will heal. And it just doesn't. Or I think there's another one they think is that there's somehow an end. And we use the words like journey and it kind of implies that there's a road and you're on a journey. And of course there's an end to a journey. So there must be an end to grief, which isn't true at all. Right. Because there really isn't an end point. It's not something we recover from. It's not something we move on from. We just move forward with. Mm-hmm. Or you get so over people, that. You yeah. We don't get over it. Right. Yeah. We move, we move it. forward with yeah. it. We adjust, we integrate it into our lives. We grow around the experience, but we don't just leave it behind or leave them behind or somehow magically reach the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow mm-hmm. right. <laughs> where poof, we're better. Yeah. That's not how it works. It it is. And it can take much longer than, and that I think is a danger of that timeline. It can take so much longer for people even to get their head around the idea that this is an ongoing thing and it's okay. It's okay Mm -hmm. that it's going to come and go and there's no one right way to do it and one wrong way to do it. Yeah. I have many, I have a lot of people that reach out to me very early after the loss. They're looking for support there, but then I also have a lot of women who didn't get the support that they needed or could have Mm -hmm. benefited from. And maybe they're 10 plus years out from a loss. And they're just kind of really realizing that there's some stuff left that they need to deal with, Mm -hmm. especially with moms. Sometimes you just, you get so busy trying to live, trying to feed your kids and do the things and you don't prioritize your own mental well-being. And then later on you look back and go, I think this is still there's still something here that I need to deal with. And you realize Mm -hmm. that you want to go back and take a look Mm -hmm. and there's no wrong time to do that. And certainly not, no reason to feel bad about it, but it just can be surprising. Right. Right. So let's talk a little bit about processing grief and Mm. what that looks like for somebody who's in, in the middle of feeling like they're in the throes of it. How did we process it? I would back up just a second and just maybe say that it kind of depends on what you're thinking about in terms of grief, right? So it's important to put it in context. So sometimes when people say grief, they're just thinking about an emotion Mm -hmm. and they're calling grief an emotion. When I'm thinking about grief, I am kind of looking at it as an umbrella term for all of the thoughts and feelings and responses that we're having about the loss. Right. So when you ask me that question, it depends on what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So if it's just the emotion, it's different than if we're saying really the umbrella term of all the thoughts and all the feelings and all the behaviors. Right. So I think what most commonly people are looking for is the emotion. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I kind of recommend two things that are the kind of my go-tos. So one is just learning how to feel your feelings. which as you know, right, isn't commonly known. And I certainly didn't know it. And there's a way to do it that minimizes suffering. And most of us don't know what it is. And so learning how to feel your feelings, and I'm sure you teach people that I teach people that. And the other way that I, I do it. So I teach something called the now process, which is just kind of an easy to remember way of doing it. So it's N-O-W, right? So N stands for name or notice. So I, I notice I'm feeling angry right? This is anger. And then the O stands for open, which basically means do the opposite of what your body wants you to do, right? Because your body wants you to recoil from whatever it is you're feeling. Your body wants you to get away. So open up to that, 
meaning let it in, breathe it in, physically pull back your shoulders, drop them, open your chest, like give that emotion permission to be there with you. So name it, open up to it, and then witness it, which is the W, which just means pull yourself back from the experience of the emotion and watch how it is working its way through your body, Mm -hmm. right? Watch what is actually happening as the emotion passes through you. So where is that emotion in your body? Is it in your throat? Is it in your stomach? Is it in your solar plexus? What does it resemble? What is it like? Is it a round? Is it square? Is it dark? Is it light? Is it fast? Is it slow? Is it sticky? Is it slippery? What is it? right? Mm -hmm. Just kind of watching it. And so that's something I think that is a really easy go-to, not easy to do. No. Mm -hmm. Right. I love that. Yeah. So the now I love that. That Yeah. That's the easiest way for me to remember it. And then I'm also a big fan of emotional freedom technique and tapping, Mm -hmm. a huge fan. And so I work with my clients on that and that is my primary go-to these Mm -hmm. days. And it really, it has been for years. Mm -hmm. I just think it's just such a it's like an off switch for your stress response. It's just such a great way to create safety in your body and let an emotion run its course. And to me, I find it magical. So yeah, we've been on the podcast, I think a couple of episodes about a previous, but we're we're Mm -hmm. one upcoming. I also love it. It's something I'm I'm going through learning a lot more about it Mm -hmm. to introduce it because it is so helpful to process emotions on so many different levels. And Mm -hmm. I like that about grief being that umbrella because it is sort of, it's a mixture of so many things, the sadness and disappointment and the helplessness and hopelessness and anger and resentment. And there's all those feelings. They make up what the grief is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also not all negative, Mm -hmm. which I think is really important for people to be aware of because Mm -hmm. we tend to judge ourselves very harshly, especially when it's someone has died, Right. right? When we experience happiness, it can be really easy to judge ourselves for how we feel or when we experience relief Mm -hmm. or something that we would classify as a positive emotion. Mm -hmm. I see this happen a lot where we don't give ourselves permission to feel. I mean, that's just a blanket statement. We don't give ourselves permission to feel. We don't give ourselves permission to feel the negative. We don't give ourselves permission to feel the positive. And if we could just not judge any of what we feel Mm -hmm. and classify it all as normal human emotion, then that would help a lot. I was reading in the book, The Other Side of Sadness. I'm not sure if you Mm -hmm. read it by Mm -hmm. George Bonanno. And he he talked about how even laughter and smiling and all those things people may have a hard time with, but when they do it, especially in the initial stages, it fares for them down the road. Like they end up doing better. They're better able to cope. And I think the other thing that's interesting is that people are much more resilient. And he he dedicates a whole chapter on it in his book talking about resilience, that sometimes people aren't ready to hear that as humans, we are resilient, we will make it through. There are some Mm -hmm. people who suffer from complicated grief or prolonged grief, and they may have a much harder time. But I think it's that idea of life doesn't just stand still. Like there, there is resilience, there is growth. And I know we've talked on the podcast about post-traumatic growth, but why don't you share with us, you mentioned that at the beginning, a mm-hmm. little bit about your experience, because that's really what it's about. We are resilient. And in fact, many people in certain mm-hmm. areas of their life are able to experience post-traumatic growth. 
yeah, I remember hearing about it the first time and it was just like the record scratch moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> what? wait, what? Post-traumatic what? Because I, everybody's familiar with post-traumatic stress, but right. most of us aren't familiar with post-traumatic growth. So yeah, it's just this study of the idea that we can actually grow after trauma. Mm-hmm. So it's not morally superior to not growing after trauma, right? But it is available to us that some, for those who want it and for some people, you can use a trauma to increase your overall life satisfaction, right? To develop stronger relationship with others, to develop deeper spiritual connections, to develop more possibilities, see your strength, improve areas of life that are of value to you. Mm-hmm. And it was I think coined in the mid nineties by a couple of researchers who really didn't even set out to study that just kind of started to notice Notice that's what was happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I find it very encouraging and exciting. And as much as I appreciate whoever coined the term new normal, I think we use it against ourselves a lot because Mm -hmm. we kind of use it to mean, well, I'll just resign to this new set of circumstances that I don't really want in my life. Right. And, but I'll get used to it. I'm getting used to my new normal. And we say it that way. And then post-traumatic growth comes along and says, Hey, not only can you bounce back to where you were, but you can actually bounce forward. Forward. You can actually, yeah, yeah, take the loss and not just return to baseline, but really recalibrate. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's there's an incredible opportunity for that. And, and I think we need to talk about that more because if you've never heard, and I know it's a concept that we introduce to a lot of our clients. Again, timing is, is all you don't want to be pushing. And, and really, I know the research showed that you can't push somebody into post-traumatic growth. It's something that they do experience, but just allowing them the opportunity to know that there is possibility. This is not getting this new normal, you do have the opportunity to grow and to bounce forward. Yeah, Yeah. I I think you're right. It's the opportunity to know that it's an option, but really receiving that as a, as an opportunity for choice, not Mm -hmm. because you have to, or should, yeah. And cause I don't think we want to put them, put that no. on ourselves because I see so many people going, well, I should be, I should be grateful. I should use this as growth. Other people are doing it. I should too. Yeah. And that's just, that's not going to help anyone either. And you can experience post-traumatic growth and still have the waves of anger and resentment and overwhelm and all those things. Right. And still not want any of it to have happened in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Which I really struggled with in the beginning because I didn't understand that. I really thought that I was going to have to want what had happened to have Mm -hmm. happened Mm -hmm. in order to grow from it, in order to be happy again. And I had to learn that that no, it's okay. You can hold space for both. You can still really not want that to have happened and decide who you want to be in the face of it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's in Sheryl Sandberg's book, option B. I think she does a great example of that option a it's not that she's like oh yay option b this is what Mm -hmm. i've always wanted Mm -hmm. now i think in some cases for some people depending on what the situation is that they've gone through that maybe option b is a better option for many people it is no i i miss option a i still want option a but i've made room in my life out of option b yeah Yeah. it's one of my favorite quotes from that book i love that book yeah yeah it's such a great book Well, maybe lastly, how can we support people who are experiencing all these emotions that surround grief? Yeah, not seeing those emotions as a problem that you need to fix, Mm -hmm. right? Nothing has gone wrong when a human is having a negative emotion. You didn't cause it. 
and you don't need to change it. So just let them have it, right? Bear witness to it and support them, love them. If we could just decide that our only job was to love the person, like be there and love them, I think it would be a lot easier for us to support other people. But when we think, oh, you know, what they're experiencing shouldn't be this way and I need to figure out how to change it or fix it, we're giving ourselves an impossible task. And mm-hmm. so it's just not helpful. So I don't really think it has to be any more complicated than that, honestly. We can ask someone if they want your help, but it's okay if they don't. You might ask them if they want your help and they might have no idea how you can help them. So maybe you just jump in and help them. For me, I remember there were some people that really just rallied around me. I didn't know what I needed. One of my friends just went and bought school supplies for my kids. She didn't even ask, right? She just did that. One of the teachers at my son's school, she didn't ask me. She moved my son from one class to another class because she knew that the teacher would be a softer touch and would help him, right? So mm-hmm. people showed up and mowed my lawn. And I never would have asked them to do those things. I, I couldn't even think about those things. And even if I could have, I don't know that I would have, I would have probably thought that I was burdening them with those mm-hmm. requests. So sometimes it's really helpful to just jump in if you know the person well mm-hmm. and do something for them mm-hmm. instead of just saying, well, if you need me, call me. Yeah. Which is, I think probably they're not calling. No, because it puts the onus back on them. It's one more thing. Mm-hmm. And they they're already processing so much. Yeah. It's one more thing. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Just get out there. And maybe what you do is not going to be the exact thing that they need, but I'm guessing it's going to be pretty appreciated regardless, or, or I, it doesn't even have to be appreciated. It's just there. You're noticing them. You're witnessing yeah. their pain. Yeah. And it comes from your heart. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Heather, do you have any more questions? Well, I was just going to ask when clients come to see you and work with you, what types of things do you work with them on? Yeah. So I run a group program, so it's all widows and all moms. And so I have done this long enough that I see the same major hurdles and the same major obstacles. And so everyone's story is different, of course, but there are a lot of similar issues that they struggle with that we address. So for sure, we always start with feelings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Who doesn't start with that? So I actually ask them to feel a hundred feelings until they really start to get the hang of it and feel comfortable with it and good about it. I teach them how to tap. And then we work through all the major areas of life and just look at what are the stories that they're telling themselves about Mm -hmm. the loss in that particular area of life. So a lot of us are telling ourselves that we should have done things differently in the past. Mm -hmm. And so we look at that, that we won't be able to be happy in the future. So we look at past, we look at future. We're really experiencing identity challenges, like who are we now? And so we've got to kind of redefine that for ourselves. What is our purpose? So we talk about big P purpose and little P purpose and really deciding what it is that we want to do next without believing that there's some sort of perfect divine answer that we must find. Figuring out how to, a lot of clients really struggle with overwhelm, how to support yourself through overwhelm, even just how to dream again is important Mm -hmm. sometimes because it would seem like that wouldn't be an issue, but for most of us, it really is when all of your dreams were wrapped up in a particular direction. And then that's no longer available to you Mm -hmm. kind of have to go back and refigure that out for yourself. And so I work with clients on that too. Relationships usually want to talk about parenting and, and how do you parent a child who's lost a parent without putting all of that burden on yourself to be both parents? Mm -hmm. How do you, the questions are always, 
is it grief or is it normal child behavior? How do you mm. get confident again as a parent when you know your child has been through something so challenging? Sometimes parents become overly permissive or overly disciplinarian. And how do you find that balance? And confidence is a huge issue, which mm-hmm. I think is a big surprise to people too, because they don't really expect confidence to take a hit after a loss and it does. And so we work on where does confidence come from and how do we create self-confidence versus mm-hmm. confidence in a skill and yeah, mm-hmm. it's awesome. the, all of life's changes, right? When you've everything. been through something major, everything's yeah. up for grabs. And so there's a lot to be done. In many often. ways, it feels like you, you are restarting and you have to lay down some groundwork again, yeah. get your bearings. Yeah. And sometimes it's almost like though, I'll have clients who have done a lot of living since whatever the loss was, mm-hmm. right? And so maybe for me that it's loss of a, a spouse, but they've gotten remarried, mm-hmm. right? And maybe now they've gotten divorced again, or they're on this, they've been a widow for the second time, but what they really need to process was what happened with the first loss. Right. And so it's never cookie cutter. Mm -mm. It's always very individual. And there's just a lot of stuff depending on the person and what they've been through that, that we get the chance to look at. Well, thank you so much for sharing so much of your knowledge with us. Where can people find you? Yeah. Well, my podcast for sure. It's called the widowed one podcast, but I think anybody who's interested in grief would benefit from it. Yeah. Yeah. And then coachingwithkrista.com is probably the easiest place to go because it's got all of my social and everything on there. Well, thank you so much. We appreciate you taking the time to share this with us because I know grief is something that we are all going to encounter, whether Mm -hmm. it's personally something right now or something that's going to touch us later. It's one of those things we can't get through life without. It's not if, it's when. (laughs) Yep, you got that right. Well, thanks for having me. All right. Yes, thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you are interested in a little bit of weekly motivation, want to be kept in the know about upcoming free classes and resources, new podcast episodes, and other ways of working with us, please go subscribe to our weekly email. You can subscribe at www.hl-lifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. Again, that's www.hl-lifecoaching.com forward slash newsletter. We'll see you again soon.